Hey, this is John Morgan. I'm the lead pastor here at Word of Life Church in the nation's capital. I want to personally thank you for taking time out to listen to our podcast today. It's our prayer that you're inspired and that your life is changed for the better while listening. So go ahead, enjoy today's message. Because we are a diverse church. I love it. I love, I, love, I love Word of Life. I love the fact that Jesus, Jesus brings us all together. That's what I love about the church globally is people that you may never get to do life with. You get to do life with them simply because of Jesus, simply because of the church. He brings us together, and I, I, I love that. I, I love that. Whether you're famous or not famous, whether you're rich or poor, no matter what country you come from, God loves you. God loves you. God still loves you. Even if you're from Argentina, God loves you. I have a lot of bitterness in my soul towards Argentina today, but obviously not as much as Champion has towards the Netherlands. And, but forgiveness is a part of our Christianity, so that's good. I, I, I want to read you this short bit of a passage. It's a longer passage than this, so I w- want to just give you this opening bit. It's uh, Isaiah chapter 9, uh, verse 6, just the first bit. says, for unto for to us a child is born... For to us a son is given. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. We are launching our festive season, our Christmas season. The next two weeks, uh, we're going to have Christmas messages and then uh, Christmas Eve service. Now, the reason we're asking you to register for that, it won't... It won't uh, it's not like book a seat and you get that specific seat. We just need to know who's coming. The reason we need to know who's coming is we're moving uh, December and January into the chapel for these services because this building is getting a renovation. Uh, we're getting new seats and we're getting new carpet. How many people are glad about the new carpet? And so we've got all that happening. Uh, we're uh, donating all of our pews. They're going to be packed up and sent to Togo, a church there. And so we're excited. So it just means in a few weeks that we're going to be having service in the chapel. And so Christmas Eve, if you can let us know you're coming, that way we will know whether we need to add another service. So that's the whole purpose of the registration is knowing which service you want to go to. And then we can look at the numbers and we go, okay, we need to add one more service or two more, more services. That just helps us administratively. And so we would definitely appreciate your help there. I want to speak this morning uh, on this thought on International Christmas on the truth and tradition conflict. The truth and the tradition conflict. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you that it's alive and powerful. Thank you that it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to get into our life and penetrate and bring supernatural change from the inside out. And so, God, we're leaning in. Our ears are open to hear, Holy Spirit, what you're saying to us. Our mind is ready to be changed. We want to be challenged. We don't want to leave the same way that we came in. And Lord God, we want something to help us this Christmas in Jesus' name. And everyone said, I have lived in America since 2002, but I still refer to December as summer. 
If you're having a conversation with me, I could use the word Christmas and summer simultaneously in the same sentence, both meaning the same thing, even though I've lived in America for 20 years and I've never been in America in a December summer. It's always winter. But traditions go deep. Life goes deep. I grew up in towns of North Queensland. Average temperature all year is about 75 degrees. Uh, this season, December, is not cold. Brutally hot. In fact, temperature goes up, a lot of humidity. This is our cyclone season. This is where we get cyclones, like a hurricane. In 1971, the Townsville, uh, the town I grew up in, Townsville, it got hit on Christmas Eve, 1971, by cyclone Althea. And so this, for us, is not the, the cold season. This is a warm season. We're doing barbecues. We don't have roast lamb. We have cold seafood. This is how we do Christmas. And every family sort of does Christmas uh, a little bit different. Nations do Christmas different. America definitely does Christmas different than any other nation on the world. Uh, and, and then all around the world, as we celebrate nations today, we think about Christmas is probably different in your family because of where you grew up than it is in my family. If you're in Costa Rica, then the Christmas flower would be the orchid. Uh, if you're from Brazil, anybody from Brazil here? Then they say, or oh, two, two Brazilians. They're going to be very excited at the World Cup, but two Brazilians in the house. But they give gifts on, from the Magi on Three Kings Day. In Austria, farmers uh, chalk up the initials of uh, the wise man on the, the doorposts. Uh, in Ethiopia, I was talking with Pastor Waldy, it's a, it's a godly country. It's a, uh, you know, a God-filled country. Yet Christmas is not really a big deal in Ethiopia. I preached the Christmas message in the Ethiopian Eritrean service, and they're like, oh, you know, it's like just not a big deal for them, you know, in, in, that, in that service. And so uh, Peru, my uh, brother-in-law and sister-in-law and their family, they live in Iquitos in Peru, and Christmas Eve is the day they go. I think that's like a Latin tradition to give out the presents Christmas Eve. Is that, is that, that right? That's accurate? And so, so every nation uh, and, and people groups sort of have their traditions. A tradition is pretty much a transition of a custom or a belief that is passed on from generation to generation. The tradition holds its strength because of the romantic nature. There's a, there's a personal connection to the tradition, a sense of belonging, a, a sense of ownership, a sense of security, a sense of family that connects us to the tradition. But at the end, uh, the, the tradition literally becomes a generational habit. It's something that you do that you always do. Like, why do you do that? Well, we always do that. Why do you do it? Well, I'm not really sure why we do it. We just always do that. You never think about doing it. It's never like, is there another option? Is there something else we can, 
we can do. No, you always do it. And you never think about the reason how did this tradition ever get established. You just do the tradition. There's a story about a family and the children are watching their mum prepare the, the, the ham for lunch and she goes to the garage and grabs out a large saw, places the ham, the leg of ham up on the bench and she proceeds to cut the bone off the leg of ham. And the children said to her, mum, why, why do you do that? Why do you cut the bone off the leg of ham? And the mother thought about it a second. She goes, well, that's simple. I, I just did it because my mum did it. And so the children went to grandma and they said, grandma, why do you cut the bone off the leg of ham? She thought about it for a moment and she goes, well, that's simple. I did it because my mother did it. And so the children then went into great grandma and said, great grandma, why do you cut the bone off the leg of ham? And she said, what do you say? And why do you cut the, the bone, the phone, no, the bone. Why do you cut the bone off the leg of, of ham? And then the great-grandmother said, well, that was simple. When I was younger, the, the baking pan was small, and I needed to cut the bone off to get the ham in the pan. <laughs> and this tradition had carried on. No one knew why they did that. My wife, Anna, Rebecca, her family, they have a Christmas tradition. Makes no sense. It's usually Christmas Eve, and it's the first one to find you and say, Christmas Eve gift. That's what you have to say. I have to find somebody. Christmas Eve gift, I've got to say. And her family have all these strategic things. They'll hide behind things and jump out to get you. The, you know, they'll text you to try to get it. Christmas Eve gift. And I ask their family, why? Why do you do that? What's the? Because you don't get anything. You win. You don't get a sash. You don't get a trophy. Like Australia will not get a trophy because of Argentina, you don't get anything. You don't get anything. And, and, and so I asked them, why do you do that? And they're like, we don't know, we've just always done that. Now, actually, I did some research, and in the 50s, that was a tradition in America, probably in the South, where you would say, get somebody Christmas Eve gift. If you beat them, they had to give you money, or they had to give you nuts. Now I know the tradition. I'm excited for this year to find her parents and beat them and get some cash. But here's a tradition that's being held, and you don't even know why. We, we write, write Christmas cards. That wasn't always around. That started in the, the 1800s. Uh, we sing Handel's Messiah, not a psalm. Like that was written in the 1800s. Uh, we have Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. That was purely uh, to get people into a store and buy gifts. But now we sing the song, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer wasn't actually in the nativity scene. It wasn't like Jesus and Mary and Joseph and the wise man and the shepherds and some goats and some sheep and a couple of camels and Rudolph the red-nosed reindeer who had a very shiny. He wasn't in the original Christmas story, but he has been woven in. And now families all over the world celebrate that as a tradition. It's a generational habit. That means you can do something without giving it any thought. Jesus spoke about this principle in Mark chapter 7. He said, these people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They, they, they know the right words to say, but there's a disconnect. They have a tradition. They can say things without thinking about it. They can say things without necessarily even believing it. 
And there's this disconnect between what they're saying and where their heart is. A generational habit in church life means that something can start out very simple and just something that you do, but we tend to take those things and we tend to enshrine them with holiness, and then if you touch it, then it's evil. Matthew chapter 15, Jesus spoke to the Pharisees and they were speaking to him and they asked him this question. They say, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? Why do your disciples break the tradition that's been established in our religion for a very long time? For they do not wash their hands before they eat. This was offensive to them. Now, it's not a mandate from God. It's not in any of the commandments. It's a good idea to wash your hands before you eat. I'm presuming back then in an agricultural society where you're dealing with donkeys and camels and all sorts of sanitation issues that washing your hands was probably a really good idea. So there's nothing wrong with the whole washing of the hands, but what Jesus said is that they were willing to break commandments for the sake of their tradition. They made the tradition more important than anything else. They made the tradition of washing the hands almost like it's a truth, and now they're judging the disciples for not doing their tradition. And these people must be evil. These people must be wrong. You can't be godly because you're not following in the footsteps of, footsteps of our tradition. And that's what happens when you uh, convert anything like doctrine into truth. When you convert tradition into truth, it becomes problematic. We don't want to break the commandments of God for the sake of our tradition. Now, don't get me wrong, not every tradition's bad. In, in fact, Paul encouraged the Thessalonian church that they would uh, follow the traditions that Paul laid out for them. But a tradition just becomes problematic when it disconnects from the truth, when it has more value than the truth, maybe when it has more value than people. Jesus said, or Paul wrote in the Colossians, he said, see that no one takes you captive by philosophy or empty deceit according to human tradition. So he said, don't let the emptiness of tradition catch your heart. Make sure that you're always leaning on the truth of God. And that's where we end up with this truth and this tradition conflict. Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? Well, we know that Israel had the law, they had the Torah. Then out of the Torah, they uh, created the Mishnah. That's the, the, oric, the oral traditions passed down generationally uh, through the spoken uh, scripture or stories. And then they developed the, the Talmud. And the Talmud had uh, over 60 volumes now, these were the writings developed out of the oral traditions that came from the law. But eventually, the Talmud became more important than the law, more important than God's word. And many of these things were just traditions established over time that weren't necessarily wrong or evil or bad. But because it's a tradition, has meaning, has enshrined in holiness. Now, if you, break the, if you don't wash your hands, then you're evil. That's how that works out. We do it in the church. 
Like, it's, like, it's not like we can look at Israel, you bad, like we do it. We, 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 we enshrine tradition. For us, it's doctrine. So we're studying the Word of God, smart people studying the Word of God, trying to develop doctrine. And doctrine is not clearly black and white. It's an, a, usually an assessment of Scriptures coming together and looking at the whole context of the Word of God and doing research, and doctrine is developed. And then once you get doctrine, which is really, in essence, a verbal tradition or a written tradition to do with your denomination or your church, then if we enshrine that doctrine in holiness, then to break the doctrine is to hurt God and then you're evil churches have split over doctrine deep meaningful doctrine like the direction of baptism which way do we baptize people do we baptize people forward or do we baptize people backwards it seems crazy to me that The direction of the body going into the water is more important than the baptism itself. But whole churches have split on the direction of baptism. They've split on the concept, why don't your disciples wash their hands? Well, they don't do it because it's not the law of God. It makes sense. But like, like why, why did the person going down the water fall? How did that develop? You don't even know. Maybe it went because they didn't want to go back because they felt like they were being waterboarded or water would go up their nose and they freaked. They went back in the, and they came, oh, like freaked out. And so they will never do that again. We're going to baptize you forward. Who knows how that started? Baptismal formulas have split churches. Doctrine splits churches. Even if you believe the same thing, but the doctrine's slightly different. Like for me, one of the interesting ones is the timeline of the rapture. This is split churches. Are you pre-trib? Are you mid-trib? Are you post-trib? When's the rapture going to happen? Pre-trib? Mid-trib? Post-trib? Me personally, I am pan-trib, which means it's all going to pan out in the end. (laughs) When God said, no man knows, only the Father, that's where I'm throwing it. Like, I don't, don't think it matters. Now, if that doctrine is big to you, then love your doctrine. But don't divide or call somebody evil if they disagree with your traditional doctrine. It's not big enough to be able to divide over portions of doctrine. We need to divide over, we need to have unity in the kingdom of God. And that takes some work. To understand how truth and tradition collide, you have to understand some truths about how traditions develop. Jesus said in Mark chapter 7, Isaiah said of you hypocrites, as it is written, the people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. He says in verse 7, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Verse 8, you leave the commandment of God and hold the tradition of men. Verse 9, he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your own tradition. Verse 13, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. So Jesus is speaking about this. He says, you leave the truth. You reject the truth, and then you void the truth. You depart from the truth, then you stand away from it, and then you don't even consider the truth anymore. And what you do is then you replace it with your tradition. So you hold your tradition, you establish your tradition, and then you hand down your tradition. 
And so there are beliefs and doctrines that people have, and they never give it any thought. But when truth and tradition collide is when we have serious issues. When the gospel crosses church cultures, it's a simple one. You have to discern what is the Bible and what is actually just church tradition. Every church has its culture. It either happens by design or by default, but every church has a culture. We have a culture. The church down the road has a culture. Emmanuel around the corner has a church culture. That would be different than our culture. And when you run something through the culture, it sounds a lot like your culture. Here is the original version by Hillsong of the song, Shout to the Lord. Just play that for me. The original version of the song from Hillsong, Shout to the Lord. Production team don't know. Two seconds. Silence on the stage is death. Here we go. Now, if you grew up in the Assembly of God Church, you'd take that that same song and you would sing, Shout to the Lord, all the earth, let us sing. You've got to have the hand. Early days, Assembly of God Churches, you don't do this, you're not even saved. You're not doing, you're not counting people in time. You're going to burn in the bowels of hell because you don't even know how to song lead. You don't, you know nothing about song. Shout to the Lord, all the earth. Greg grew up in the Catholic church. If we were to run this through the the Roman Catholic uh, filter, how would that same lyric go in the Catholic church? Um, I'll be... Shout to the Lord, all the earth, let us sing. Amen. Bill, how would it sound uh, Southern Baptist? Give us a Southern Baptist version of that, Pastor Bill. Shout to the Lord, all the earth let us sing. Mountains bow down and the seas will roar. So they sing it differently and get the words wrong. That's cool. So there's a, there's a church culture that you run it through and it sounds different according to your church culture. When the gospel crosses generations, then you have to think about, about the culture and discern what it is. Like there are generational sounds. So if you grew up in the 50s, you'd probably be into Elvis and you'd be like, shout to the Lord, all the earth let us sing, power and majesty, praise to the king. If you're in the 70s, then you're probably into the Bee Gees and be like, shout, 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 shout to the Lord, shout to the Lord, yeah, but something like that, you know. <laughs> now, if you're in the 80s, I asked Frank and Vlad to come, and if you're in the 80s, you're probably like into a little bit of metal version of Shout to the Lord. Can we, can we get a little bit of 80s glam rock Shout to the Lord from you? Shout to the Lord, all the earth, let us sing. Power and majesty, praise to the King. Mountains bow down and the seas will roar at the sound of Pick your name. Point 
the pastor would run, he would stage dive. And being a church, everyone would stand out like the Red Sea and he hit the ground, break his face, it wouldn't be good. That's why we don't do that version in church anymore. Now your personality type might be, well, I don't even like music. I like the spoken word. And so you'd be like, shout to the Lord. All the earth let us sing. Power, majesty, praise to the king. Or maybe you don't like any of that. Maybe you like mime. This is lettuce. This is me chopping up a lettuce. So you run through these filters, it pops out the other side, it's the exact same thing, but it comes out different because of the filter that you put on it. And then we put the filter on it, we enshrine it in holiness, we make it a tradition, turn it into a doctrine, and if you don't do it like that, then you're not saved. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. This is the Christmas truth tradition conflict the tradition is that Jesus is born on December 25 that's the that's the tradition but most of us know that's not the date we know that Jesus wasn't born on December 25 we know that was added in like 300 and something years after Jesus on the planet but they added that date in the truth is that a child was born and a son was given that's the truth. The truth is that God became man and dwelt among us. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The truth is that for unto us a son is born. And even though he's not born on December 25, what a great day of the year to take time out to remember God gave us the greatest gift of humanity. That's the truth. The tradition is that we're supposed to celebrate his birthday. But nowhere in the Bible does it say celebrate the birthday of Jesus. In fact, if we were biblically supposed to celebrate the birthday of Jesus, if that was a Christian you know, principle in the New Testament, then we would have got a date. We wouldn't have had a secret location. We would have had a date and a time. He wouldn't have made it hard. That's the, that's the tradition. Now, some people in church are so angry about that tradition that they're like, well, we're not going to celebrate it. John Knox was an early reformer, and he made it illegal in Scotland to be able to celebrate Christmas. He's pretty much like, that's not a Christmas holiday. You can only celebrate the Christmas holidays. He, he sincerely believed you could only celebrate a holiday that actually fitted in to the Bible. And, and Christmas didn't become legal for hundreds of years later. It's like 300 years later where it actually became legal to do it in Scotland. Oliver Cromwell was another person who made it illegal in England from 1647 to 1660. Why? Because we don't like the tradition. It's not in the Bible. Nowhere does it tell us to celebrate. Nowhere does it tell us that it's December 25. Nowhere do we be told to celebrate the wise man and the, and the I was only going to say the snowman, the, the wise men and the shepherds, you know, and all those people. We know that. We know that. We know it's not Jesus' birthday. We know we don't have to celebrate Jesus' birthday. There's nowhere in the Bible, but for under us a son is, for under us a child is, can you think of a better thing to celebrate? That God came to earth? 
Can you think of a better time for us to gather together as a community and celebrate God together? So we know the traditions are there. We're not celebrating the tradition. We're celebrating the truth that God came to earth as a child. The tradition is that it was a silent night, a holy night. All is calm. All is bright. We're just running that song through the filter. The death metal version. You know, I don't know. I was going to rap it, but I'm too, far too white. That's why I refer to it as spoken word and then do poetry, because that's what white people do. But there's nothing silent about the night. That's a tradition. The tradition is that, that, that Mary and Joseph and Jesus and, and everything got quiet and angels are dancing around, you know, the nativity scene and the wise men are seeing a star and they're like, we should go. Shepherds are getting their sheep and they're bringing their sheep. They're like, shh, sheep like, meh, shh, meh. And they get around, they gather around the nativity scene and they pose for the photo. Everything is silent. But no, the, the, the inn was booked out. Why? Because the city was busy. Why? Because people had flooded the city. There was nothing silent about the night, nothing really even holy about the night. God didn't ordain the night as being holy. He, he ordained the moment of the child of God, the son of God. For under us a son is born, to under us a child is given. And the government shall be on his shoulders. We are here to celebrate. We know that's the tradition. Sing it anyway, because why we're lifting up Jesus, the whole whole world is singing about Jesus right now and I think that we need to join in when unsaved people are given out gifts again there's another there's another there's another tradition the gift under the tree we know it's not biblical nowhere did Jesus say thou shalt give gifts but how cool is it when we celebrate the greatest gift ever given to mankind ever given to mankind would be celebrated on that day. It's like the Christmas tree. It's a tradition. Every family has their own tradition. I'm not sure when your Christmas tree tradition began. My tradition growing up was we didn't have a Christmas tree. We got a plant that I cut some paper out and wrapped it around the tree. That was, the, that was a plant. It was a pot plant. And that was our Christmas tree. Now, I married Dr. Anna. She's like the Christmas tree professional. We have, we have two Christmas trees at the front door of the house. Or is it three? There's two Christmas trees at the front door of the little Christmas, at the front door of the, you come up the stairs into the kitchen area, and there's a Christmas tree on the, the, the bench in the kitchen, because that's where you need a tree to remind you it's Christmas on the bench and that you walk into the, the, the lounge area. There in the corner is a Christmas tree in the corner. Go up a flight of stairs and upstairs, there's another tree. There's another tree. <laughs> if they were real trees, we'd be creating global warming. There are trees everywhere in our house. Now, I don't mind the trees being there. The downside of the trees is you've got to store those suckers out December. We had a whole storage unit in Chicago just to house the trees. 
That was it. Right now on your phone, if you're a part of our text messaging, look at your phone right now. We're doing a survey. We want to find out, when do you put your tree up? Do you put it up in October? Some people have put their trees up in October. I think ours were up in October. Some people in November. Some of you are like, what? You didn't even think about a tree. Where do you get a tree? And you're going to go out of service today, and you're going to hunt down a tree. And so we'd love to know where you're at in that. So every family has their Christmas tradition. But the truth is, for unto us a child is born, for unto us a son is given. So we know all those things are there. Here's what I like to do. I, I like to do what God does. I like, to, I like to take the things of this world and then convert them to, if it's a tradition or whatever, convert them as an opportunity to springboard off to bring truth. So Christmas is the tradition, but it's an opportunity for every one of us to springboard off the tradition and present truth which is for unto us a child is born for us a son is given to ask people simply do you know why you celebrate Christmas well my family's already done that but do you know the origins of Christmas and you'd probably be surprised in our community today that many young people would not even have any idea that it's about Jesus that have no idea about the nativity or the Christmas story about God becoming man and dwelling among us far away from that because tradition has taken over and so rather than push off the tradition, I'm encouraging, why don't you use the tradition as a springboard to bring truth? Have intentional Christmas. One thing to have international Christmas, but why don't we have this year intentional Christmas? That every one of us is intentional about inviting somebody to church. We have great Christmas services coming up. 85% of people come to church when you invite them. And so why don't you just invite 10, 20, 30 people? We've got a Christmas Eve service. We've got Christmas services on Sunday. Why don't you join us, come to church, and be intentional about the invite, even though you may not even in your house do much Christmas decoration but use the tradition as a springboard to launch out with truth God does that all the time all the time through the Bible God will take a tradition he will redeem it he'll breathe on it transition it to be a part of his way of communicating the gospel that's how Christmas began it was in the church they were seeing a lot of people getting saved and a lot of pagans getting saved and unbelievers coming to Christ and they wanted a way of being able to communicate the truth of God's word to these people getting saved and so they picked some natural holidays that these people were already doing and they gave it Christian context and they redeemed the moment and they preached the gospel and people got saved because they took a tradition they redeemed the tradition they preached truth and and they turn it around. That's what it's all about. That's the gospel. God does it. God does it. God does it. For in him we live and move and have our being. Can you remember the song? In him we live and move and have our being. And we sang it in church and they did the Pentecostal two-step. In him we live and people got their handkerchiefs out and move and have our being. Make it joyful. Oh, sing it to the Lord. Oh, we love that song. Some Assembly of God churches are still singing it. It's number one on Hip Parade. We've been singing it for 75 years. But we love that. How many people read that scripture? How many people love that? In him. We live and we move and we have our being. How many people love that? 
It's the Word of God. You, you know it didn't start out in the Word of God. You know that's a pagan quote. That Paul grabbed a quote right out of paganism. It was a pagan phrase and redeemed it because he's like, that really describes Jesus. That right there describes God and use that tradition, use that phrase as a platform to communicate truth. And he redeemed it. And then God's like, well, that's really good. Paul put it in a letter and then God redeemed it and the Holy Spirit went, he breathed life into it. And what was a pagan phrase become the word of God. Why? Because God took something that was far away from him, redeemed it, breathed life into it, gave it salvation, helped it communicate truth and turned it around. That's what God does. That's how God rolls. And so we can do the same thing. I'm not saying that we start to go all crazy, but I'm saying Christmas is a tradition. We know it's not the birthday of Jesus. We know it's not December 25. We know there's no, that there was no tree and there was no silent night. And Handel's Messiah wasn't a psalm. It was written hundreds of years later. We know all those things, but embrace the moment and preach the truth off the tradition. God does it all the time. How do you think you got saved? Now, I know some of you were born saved. But some of you have got bad backgrounds. You live paganistic, ritualistic, far away from God lifestyles. And God communicated truth to your paganism. And then you got saved and he redeemed you and he washed you in his blood and you were born again. And then he changed you and then he filled you with the Holy Spirit. Why? Because he was able to communicate truth to your personal tradition and turn your life around. It's called salvation. The whole kingdom of God is built on that principle. I don't know. Is there anybody in here today that's glad that Jesus came? Is there anybody here today that's glad that a son was born. Is there anybody here today that a son and a child was given that we get to celebrate the birth of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? If you believe that right now, stand to your feet and give him the great round of applause and say, God, I love you. I'm going to worship you. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to celebrate you. And some of your personalities they're like, because you're so intense with what you believe. You have the washing of the hand complex. Well, you don't care who it hurts as long as you're true. You don't care who it offends as long as you're accurate. When I first got saved, there was a young, a friend of mine, his name was Wayne McDonough. I'll never forget it. He got saved about the same time as me. And, uh, he came to me and he's like, hey man, I know I'm saved and all and going to church. He goes, but my, my girlfriend, I want to see her saved. I want to see her saved. But she's working in a nightclub. She works at the bar at the nightclub. That's what I want to do. I want to go to the nightclub. I just want to sit at the bar. I'm not going to drink anything. I'm not going to drink alcohol. I just drink Coke. People will freak out. That's not what they used to be seeing me drink. I want to talk to her about Jesus. I want to invite her to church. I want to come, her to come along and be a part of of, of the church and I was passionately newly saved and I bursted out with friendship with the world is enmity against God I don't think there's any theatrics in that I think that's exactly how I said it that's how it plays out friendship with the world is enmity against God and I remember pounding with you taking the Holy Ghost into that 
down of iniquity with you. How dare you take God into the bowels? I crushed him in the argument. Like my biblical understanding of that as a new Christian, smoked him. Remember leaving that meeting thinking, yes, I'm so correct. And then we lost him to the kingdom of God. And I'm thinking a while after that, was that worth it? Really, was it worth it to just oppose? Could I, could I have done it differently? If I was more interested in him and his girlfriend rather than being correct, would I have reframed it in a way that still didn't violate God's laws or principles, but actually used it as a catalyst to preach the gospel? That's what I'm just saying to you, word of life. Let's not be so dogmatic and being correct and being right. You need to believe what you believe. You need to have doctrine. All those things are important. Read your Bible. Make sure you read your Bible every day. All those things, all those things are valid. Again, we know Christmas is not Jesus' birthday. We know all that. But don't you be so dogmatic and it's not even his birthday. Just like, well, we get to celebrate his birthday. Well, when was it? We don't know. Because it wasn't important to God. But it was important to God that he was born. It was important to God that he would give us a child, that he would give us a son, that he would come humbly as a gift to the world and wrap him in swaddling clothes. And so I want to pray with you. We're going to pray and then we're going to break and go and celebrate in the the gym together. There's food in there and then there's a pathway to the chapel and there's food trucks outside. We're going to celebrate. Let's do Christmas. Let's do the season. Let's do something well. Let's Let's be passionate about inviting people. Maybe you've never done Christmas too much in church and it's just another Sunday. Maybe just look at it different. This is a season where you have easy invites. The next three weeks of services, we're going to have things in here that are just going to have, we're going to have some wow factor moments and some fun. You know there's a church where we take God seriously, but we don't take ourselves seriously. And so we're going to have fun. We're going to enjoy his presence. What a platform to just say, hey, listen, I'm going to church. We're doing Christmas services. Why don't you come to one of them? You have at least three that you can go to, 11, 18, and 24. Come along to church. Use it as a platform to confront tradition with truth and see God move in people's lives. Holy Spirit, sweep over us right now. Close your eyes with me. Wrap us in your arms of grace. We ask you that your Holy Spirit would just overwhelm us right now. For unto us a child is born. To us a son is given. Lord, we celebrate the greatest gift that the world has ever known. There is no one on the planet this coming Christmas season that's going to give a gift to somebody else that's going to hold the value or the worth or the majesty or the brilliance of the gift that you gave us 2,000 years ago when you gave us your son. No gift that we could give could eclipse what you've given to us. And so today, God, we pray that we would take the traditions of our world, Lord God, and we would use them as a springboard 
as a catalyst to communicate truth to those that don't know you, that we would use it as a springboard. Give us, Lord God, courage and give us zeal and give us passion and give us wisdom on who to invite, when to invite, how to invite them and give us favor. God, give us favor with the unsaved. Give us favor with the backslidden. Give us favor with the lost. Give us favor with the hurting. Give us favor with the lonely. Breathe on us. Let us be vessels, Lord God, that you would use to invite people into your house. Share the gospel message with them. As you send Jesus, God, I pray you would send us. As you send Jesus, you would send us. Many in our house today feel very inadequate about that invite. Feel that they're not good enough. They don't know what the words to say. But we're reminded when you came, you came as a baby and had nothing to say. But your birth communicated everything. Let our love and our grace for people and our heart for the hurting, let it speak louder than our words. But then let our words, Lord God, be the catalyst that brings people into your house. With your eyes closed and heads bowed, and we're going to wrap up service in a second and going to celebrate together. But if you're not right with God, maybe you've never prayed, you've never asked Jesus into your life, and maybe you did that once and you're back at church and checking it all out, and you're like, man, I am far away from God. I can't think of a better time to get right with God than at this season of the year. This season of the year is just a great time to get right with God. So we're going to pray a prayer. I'm going to invite everybody here in the building to pray a prayer. If you're watching online, you can pray this prayer. But if you need God, it's a journey. It's not just a prayer. The prayer begins the journey, but it's a journey. So we invite you to pray the prayer. And then we invite you to either tell one of the pastors, one of the leaders that you prayed that prayer. Go to the connect desk, let somebody know you prayed that prayer. And we'll get you in step with the journey of God revealing all he has for you. Jesus was born a child, didn't stay a child. You can get born again today, but you don't need to stay there. God will progress you on in maturity. But it begins with a prayer. So let's all pray this together. But if you need God today, make it your own personal prayer. Say this out loud. Say, say, dear Jesus, I come to you today and I'm asking you for a fresh start in my life and my relationship with you. I take this opportunity to invite you into my world. Please forgive me for all my past and today make all things new. I want to know you. I want to know your presence. I want to know your reality. So I'm inviting you today, Jesus. Please make yourself real to me. Amen. 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 Come on, let's give Jesus Christ a great round of applause.